One of the beautiful things about creating a podcast is the community that comes along with it. I can't even begin to tell you how honored I am to read the emails from strangers sharing their stories with me about their pen pal experiences. I know it takes a lot of vulnerability and courage to write to someone you've never met before, let alone share that vulnerability with the voice you hear through your headphones. I applaud your bravery and encourage those of you who have thought about writing me but haven't yet to drop me a quick note, even if it's just to say hello. As I work towards expanding Penn, I'm going to humbly ask for your ratings and reviews. I know, I know, every podcaster asks for them, but your ratings and reviews help me to become more relevant and reach new listeners. I'm really excited to bring you this episode because it's a great example of this community that is connecting because of this podcast. My goal is to bring you stories and perspectives of human connection, and this episode goes down an avenue that we haven't explored before, education within the prison system. I'm Christina Hansen, and this is Penn. All right, Kathy. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Kathy Claridge, and I'm the executive director of the nonprofit Exchange for Change. So Exchange for Change is a nonprofit based in South Florida, and we're a writing program that teaches a variety of courses inside the South Florida prisons, both the state and the federal prison and juvenile residential centers. And our aim really is to reach incarcerated writers and give them a skill set or build on a skill set that they have where writing actually becomes a tool for communicating and processing. And we also believe that education is a human right. So it doesn't matter what your sentence is, but if you're interested in learning, we feel that it is, it's your right to be able to learn. So your punishment was that you're incarcerated, but that shouldn't stop you from being able to have access to things that people on the outside do. And we also work outside the fence because we think it's really important that the population understand who the incarcerated are. And as the numbers of incarcerated increase, that impacts our community in various ways. So we want to help fight some of the prejudice and stigma about who the incarcerated are by bringing their voice to the outside. So we work on both sides of the fence with these writing programs and engage academic institutions to do writing exchanges with the incarcerated students. Now, how does that work? Do you pair up with universities and put a a prisoner with a student on the outside? And can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's exactly right. So because we're in South Florida, we have a lot of academic institutions. So we work, for example, with University of Miami, Miami Miami-Dade College, Florida Atlantic University, Florida International University, and a couple local high schools. So let's say, Christina, that you're teaching a creative writing course at UM. So your students and my students read the same thing, and then they take on a pseudonym or a pen name so that they're not able to identify who each other are. They write a response to this reading or this prompt or this short story, and then they exchange papers. And so they begin a conversation that starts off as two writers talking about a piece of literature, and then it becomes a conversation about life where they get to see the commonalities. 
And so is it kind of like a pen pal program to where a student on the outside is paired up with a student, a prisoner, a student on the inside, and they're able to correspond through the course of this class? And they're only corresponding with each other? Right. Yeah, they, they, I mean, we don't call it a pen pal because we actually want it to be a little bit more academic, at least in the beginning, because it is a writing program. So to talk about the craft of writing and, let's say, interpretations of things that they read based on their life experiences. And because of our agreement with the Department of Corrections, at the end of the semester, because they don't know the names, the real names of their partners, the correspondence ends. And actually, that's kind of a sore point for both sides. They'd like to continue, but right now we don't have permission from the Department of Corrections to do that. And what is the feedback on from the students on the outside? Do they feel that they are gaining more of a perspective from writing and corresponding with these prisoners? Um, you know, have you had feedback from them? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, we've had, we've had lots of feedback. And I can honestly say it's life-changing. It's life-changing for, I mean, think about it as a high school student when if you've thought about criminals at all, you probably think about them as they've been portrayed in the media, right, on, on television shows and in movies. And unless it's someone that you know or a family member, you carry around a stigma or prejudice that you don't maybe necessarily acknowledge, but that sort of lies there until you begin a conversation with someone and you recognize their the full dimension of who they are. So these, these students on the outside, first of all, they're probably all going to be voters, right? And a lot of them are going to go on to careers that may have some part that's going to touch on a criminal justice system, whether they become politicians or lawyers or judges, so that they're going to remember this experience of the time when they actually had a conversation with someone that they probably would not have in any other circumstance. And it humanizes the whole mass incarceration system I think in, a, in an extremely unique and really powerful way. And then what happens is a lot of the students become involved. They become advocates or they change their majors or they take different courses or they intern with us. So, and that ripple effect then goes out to their friends and their family and their community. So it's, you know, it, it all starts with a single conversation. I agree, it absolutely does. Why do you think it's important to let these inmates express themselves through your classes and, and through the writing? Well, you know, I'm sure your listeners have heard this in some of your other episodes when they talk about just what it's like inside, but we only see our students for about two hours a week. The classes are two hours, so there's 22 other hours during the day in which our students are not, not valued. Right, because in in order to get the system to work, everybody has to be treated the same way, and that's treated as a number or as a like not an individual entity. So for two hours, they get to be human. If they're part of the exchange program, not exchange for change, but the actual exchange with the university, their voice is being heard by somebody who looks forward to getting their letters. 
and then the skill set that they that they garner from our classes is a way for them to figure out how to process stuff that goes on in their life. And I was just reading an evaluation yesterday from one of my students who said, I signed up for this course so that I could be a better letter writer for my family. And I've learned so much, I'm ready to write a book. So, I mean, these are unintended consequences of our class, but you can really see the sense of self-worth and self-confidence that they're learning how to express themselves. And, you know, as many of them say, they'd much rather pick up a pen than use their fist to settle an argument. I know that it's just in South Florida right now, but are there plans to take this national at all? Oh, (laughs) you know, it would be great. Um, We're a small startup. We're just about to finish our fifth year. We've only this year gotten funding so that we're not worried about, you know, how we're going to be able to do this next year. I think, honestly, it's a model that's very easy to institute if you have the right partners. And the right partners means you've got to get buy-in from the Department of Corrections so they, they understand the value of this. And then you just have to find people in your community who are willing to sacrifice a lot of time because going in and out of the prison is is exhausting and often very challenging but it is by far the most rewarding work I have ever done. And uh, I think most of my instructors, and we were just looking at our numbers, we've trained over 160 instructors over the last five years, and we've reached over a thousand students. And I think everybody's life has been changed by it. So, you know, down the road, if we can create a model, um, well, we have the model, but if people want to know how to do this, you know, just contact us and we'll share what we know. Are these inmates able to share their work with the outside at all? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. So, yes, there's lots of ways that they can access the writing. So we came up with a um, a literary, well, came up, we produced a literary journal last year, and we're just about to launch our second edition. And that literary journal, the name of it is Don't Shake the Spoon, and you can find it on Amazon. You can also go to our website. Uh, exchangeforchange.org with hyphens between the three words and um, click on the links that that will take you to hear some of our writing, to read a lot of our writing. And then the one thing that I didn't talk about, which we started last year that's been incredibly successful, is that we named a prison poet laureate. Uh, His name is Eduardo Martinez, and we have a whole page dedicated to his writings, and we were able to bring a tape recorder in with the permission of the Department of Corrections and put his voice to his poems. So if you go onto our website and click on the Poet Laureate tab, you'll be able to hear him recite his poems. There's a middle school, an arts magnet middle school, that he wrote a poem for that class, and each student took a line from his poem and animated it and the instructor is putting together his recording with the animation, and it should be fantastic. Well, talk about a ripple effect. I mean, he's expressing himself through his poetry, and now it's getting, you know, passed on to kids to then express themselves. And, you know, then it's getting animated to be able to share with more of the the world. And that's absolutely incredible. It's quite an experience to hear his work. We do have some recordings of other works 
that when we brought a reporter in several years ago, we've got, I don't know, maybe a dozen people reading their essays on why I write, which talks about the importance of the writing process for them. And if you're in South Florida and you want to come to one of our graduations where the men actually perform their pieces, you can go on our website and just pay attention to our Instagram and our Twitter feeds because we'll be posting all the time about events that we do for the public. English author Edward Bulwer-Lytton in 1839 coined the phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword. However, in this case, I believe the pen is mightier than the cell. Here are the words of prison poet laureate Eduardo Eco Martinez in his poem, Provocation. The guard was black, but he was white. Not the light-skinned type, but the slave mentality prototype. Fool snapped. It was only a matter of circumstance, when and wise. Keep poking your Uncle Sam, nephew Tom finger in a brother's third eye finger fucking his subconscious. It's only a matter of timing and slipping. Being fed up of being fed up, it's not a riot if the feds don't pull up. All witnesses got shipped. Shakedown lockdowns, chemical agent stains, steel toe boot prints. That was aftermath. After fool got hogtied, dragged across pavement, face raking the concrete. Skin went from mahogany melanin to Easter pink. Mace is hot sauce on raw restraint wounds, but fool was a quiet dude. Pedigree so smooth, you know his name, not his face or vice versa. Recognition always on the tip of the tongue like disrespect. Before the sun turned its back on us, the buses became hearses. The metaphor of death was in all our eyes. Think of Tupac's last picture on the passenger side of Shug's Beamer the night he got murked. If you've never been haunted or hunted, you don't know what scared looks like. It must have been one of those mama said there'd be days like this kind of days. Woke up on the wrong side of the wrong side. Give me 50 feet, got a risky chip. I'm ready to gamble with on my shoulder kind of days. Buddy stood, posted, soldier straight, had the same eerie aura some war veterans carry around like torn umbrellas, opening to the scent of an approaching storm. Aren't dog tags, expensive toe tags worn around the neck? A proud American death. They can't turn every man into a service dog. Fool was already 20 plus in in the system. Overheard speculation that his old girl or old lady had died. That's when a man really learns if he can survive in this world. When he's missing his women. The cop slid in old school's vision. Said some slick sideways off the wall shit. That undeveloped, medically scientific, irrational, dumb too young logic under the age of 25 in a hostile environment, mind spitting, chewing tobacco too close to your kicks kind of shit. Medical science was their god. Old school was on his Old Testament attitude, so the oxygen held hostage, a premonition of power shifting from initial encounter, the bitter intuition of a lit gone sour. Who knows what flowed through old school's mental before he decided to slap the police down to the ground. Those pull-up bar callous palms split his eyebrow like a scalpel. All compounds got blind spots. They're Easter eggs. So bruh took his time getting off. The guard laid in the grass, a raggedy rag doll on an institutional trailer park patch of lawn. White trash, but trash bag black. A plantation's front porch paradox. 
The brother began by undoing the officer's belt strap. Radio cackled static. Youngin was too slow on the draw, too stiff off the hip to reach the panic button before power tripped him. Keep thinking you can silence all good gorillas like Haramba. There's a scratch line between humble and hungry. What sparked attention wasn't the action, it was the sound of the belt belching dead history. The air hissed, our spirits coiled, his clenching tension tightening, then striking, buckle biting, connecting polyester and flesh, and then quacker. Father time blinked. Guys winced, the guard stirred, full swung the belt, the sound of a screaming banshee, quacker, quacker, quacker. The officer holed up, then rolled up in a fetal position, pissed his senses. After that, shit got graphic. Some chimed in chorus, some froze in horror, mesmerized. Like watching Huey P busting a Uzi, Kunte kicking ass with three legs, watching the Django play backwards, quacker, quacker. He beat him like a black slave master beating a white slave. But the guard was black. A black man's dream, a white man's nightmare. Old school went ham on a rant. The belt yelling its war chant. Quacker, quacker, quacker. I hate you. I fucking hate you. Quacker. It was raised. A lost page on a lost Bible. Ancestors picking cotton out of our ears. Old school's belt was a sound of history in revision. Quacker, quacker. Look what the fuck you made me do. Quacker. I mean, by then he had whipped the guards back into barbecue sauce. His rib cage and overcooked slab. His uniform clung to him like soggy chicken skin. He beat that boy like an animal. He beat the white out of him. Whether mercy or exhaustion, whether he considered his life altering consequences before or after the walkie talkie clocked and dropped him is unknown. But they say what saved the guard's life was an inmate who ran and got the clan's attention. Last I heard, the officer was a Campbell can ingredient. An old school was discovered in a solitary cell hanging by the irony of a state-issued belt. Supposedly, that's what they say the warden report says. A suicide write-off. We were gods punishing guards, chicos, niggas, even a sprinkle of those anarchy white boys. We fought for everything, with everything we had. We were spitting fire hydrants, we were biting canines, we were broken branches, we were Jesus, Thor, Allah, Eligual, we were Martin, Malcolm, Mandela, and Trayvon. We were last chances. We were a unified conglomeration of power. I mean, the motherfucker was revising history with a belt. Quacker. I'll never forget the sound and how the sun turned its back on us, shackled under a full moon, wolves on the floor of the Reaper's tour bus. Last word I heard fool shot before they stomped his teeth out were, why the fuck is everyone sitting down for? Stand the fuck up and buck. And that's when we made them run it. This episode was produced by Jason Sosoyev. And special thanks to Matthew Street for creating Penn's theme music. If you or someone you know has a story to share, please send me a note at pennedpodcast.com.